Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Stephen. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor here. We're glad that you've decided to join us. We are in a series entitled, You Are Not the King. What we're doing is we're studying the first, uh, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and we're looking at the three major characters of it, Samuel, Saul, and David. And we've started at the end of the book, and we're now working our way to the beginning. Um, we'll be doing this all the way up until Christmas. And as we're studying it, uh, we're not just seeing the practical advice and wisdom that's in it. Uh, the Bible is a good book, and so we should do that, and we want to pull out those truths and apply them to our lives. But more importantly, uh, we're bowing these texts down uh, to what Jesus says in uh, John chapter 5, and that is that uh, all of the Old Testament bears witness about Christ. And so most importantly in these stories is not just the story, not just the life lessons, but how does it point to Jesus? How does it bear witness about the gospel and his love for all people and the freedom that we have in Christ? Today we're looking at what is perhaps the most famous story in the Old Testament, probably uh, outside of maybe the creation story. And then even if uh, Christmas and Easter, I mean, this is probably right next to them as one of the most famous passages. I mean, we use it in common vernacular. We talk about it in business. We talk about it in sports. We talk about it in uh, all sorts of life. David and Goliath. We didn't even read the text this morning uh, because we all know the story. Malcolm Gladwell, a famous business author, wrote a business book about David and Goliath. I'm sure you've heard dozens of sermons about this topic. So what's it really about? Why is it in there? And what are we supposed to pull out of it? Now, as we walk through the story today, I'll point out some of the more obvious truths that are in there as relates to our lives. Uh, things that we should see. I mean, David is an incredible character, right? an incredible man. And if there were a biography written about him, we would read it and we would think, wow, what could I learn from him? So we will see those. But ultimately, we have to ask the question at the end, what is this story really about? Why is it really in there? Not, what do I learn to apply to my business? How does it make me love Jesus? How does it make me understand God's love and mercy better? So, even though we've heard it a lot, let's look through the story. Maybe you'll even pick up on some details that you haven't before. I'm starting in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. It's a long chapter, so we'll move relatively quickly. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And so this is the beginning of the great battle. 
On one side, you have the Philistines. On the other side, you have the Israelites. There's a valley in between them. Now, they have gathered, and they've gathered on land that belongs to Judah. The enemy is attempting to take over and to possess something of the children of God, of the Israelites, that does not belong to them. And when children of God have an enemy who is encroaching on territory that God has given them, they should fight back. And so now we're going to see how they do so. And so on one hand is the Israelites, or on one side of the mountain, and on the, the valley in between, and the Philistines are over there, and they've drawn up their battle lines. Uh, and then this famous line. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now, it's going to go on, and it's going to go into detail. And depending on how you translate or what you think the best translations are uh, from its original text to now, you're going to learn that Goliath is just a really big dude. So he's over at least nine feet. Everyone seems to agree on that. Some people think he was as tall as 11 feet. He's a large man. And he comes down, and he starts yelling about how strong he is and how big he is and how powerful that he is. It goes into detail about his armor. Most commentators think that what they're saying is that his, his armor itself is 125 pounds, that the tip of his spearhead is 15 pounds. Big guy. He comes down, and he starts talking trash. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? This line is a deviation from all of Israel's history up until this point. A deviation that can't be overlooked. See, 13 chapters earlier, Israel said, I want a king, we want a king, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And up until that moment, Israel was not known as a nation unto a person. They were known as a nation unto God. And people didn't oppose them because they believed that that God was powerful. And so they would keep their distance because they would know, oh, we've heard the stories of what your God did to the Egyptians. And we've heard the stories of what your God has done to all of our enemies. But now they're no longer, for the first time, are they're not called the children of God. They're called the servants of Saul. There's been a massive identity crisis in Israel. They're not being labeled as something different. Not a people under God, but a people underneath a man. Their identity is now in man, not in God. And so they, when they demanded a king, God told them and he warned them what would happen. But when they asked for a king in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you know why they said they wanted a king? Two reasons. One, we want to be like everybody else. Secondly, we want somebody who will fight our battles for us. Okay, so here we go. They wanted someone who would fight their battles. Let's see what happens. Now, Goliath is a smart dude. This is what he says. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you shall serve us. What Goliath says is this. There's no reason that all of us should fight and die. 
Why would we do that? Why don't we do it this way? We'll have your best guy come out, and I'm obviously our best guy, so I'll come out, and we'll have a little fight. And this is what we'll do. We'll say one man's death is everyone else's enslavement, and one man's victory is everybody else's freedom. Why don't we do it that way? Apparently, the Israelites agree, or nobody wants to talk back. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So uh, Goliath issues out his challenge one for one. Let's settle this right now and decide victory or enslavement. And the Israelites hear it, and they cower in fear. But not just do the Israelites cower in fear. Saul cowers in fear. The very reason that the Israelites had wanted a king was because they thought that it would provide them freedom and salvation and victory over their enemy. And in the moment when they now needed their king, he's afraid. It's fearful. What did they need? <laughs> they needed somebody who was on their side. They needed somebody who was a fellow Israelite like them. They needed somebody who was like them, but who wasn't underneath Saul's dominion. No one else from some other nation is going to come and fight their battle. They needed somebody who was like them, but who wasn't afraid like they were. So where are they going to find this? <laughs> I mean, all the warriors have gathered for battle. Anyone who should be fighting, is already there. In fact, two chapters earlier, Jonathan, Saul's son, wins a mighty battle. I mean, he, he goes Aragon in, in Lord of the Rings. I mean, he's taken on dozens of people by himself. He too is afraid. They needed somebody who was like them, but who wasn't under Saul like they were. Verse 12. Now David. Now David. David is a shepherd. And he's out doing what shepherds do, watching over sheep in his father's field. He's in a distant land compared to where they're at right now in battle. And at the request of his father, he is sent to go serve his brothers. And so David in the field hears the request from his father. His father says, go down to where the battle is, to where your brothers are, and I want you to serve your brothers. David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the name of his three sons were into the battle were Eliab, Shema, and Abinadab. David was the youngest. The three eldest, get this, the three eldest followed Saul. The three others, they had jumped into the line of Saul. They were now under his reign. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came, the Philistine came forward and took a stand morning and evening. For 40 days, Goliath got up there and he spoke over the same thing it tells us over and over and over and over again, because we do know this, don't we? Uh, children of God, that the enemy loves to just say the same thing to us over and over and over again. Doesn't he? I mean, some of us are dealing with the same sins we dealt with in high school, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. Same voice. Some of us are dealing with the same doubt, 
the same fears, the same lies, the same words in our heads, the same problems with our spouses. I mean, it's been the same thing over and over and over again. 40 days is probably actually 40 days in the story, but symbolically in the scripture, 40 days just means a really long time, like a lifetime. Like a lifetime of dealing with the exact same thing, thinking it will always keep me enslaved. Every day, the Israelites woke up and they heard the same thing spoken over them. And all they told them is, we're never leaving this mountain and we're never going to be free again. Like when you wake up or when you think we finally be in it and you just hear the same thing over and over and you go right back into the sin that you thought was finally done. You go right back to the same fight with your spouse. You go right back to the same level of doubt that you had before. And it just seems to keep coming and it's never going anywhere. So the enemy got up and he spoke the same thing over and over because why would the enemy change his tactics when it's working? Why does the enemy need to give you a new addiction when you're good at going back to your old one? Why does the enemy need to uh, create a different problem with your spouse when you already got a problem that you haven't fixed? We'll just go back to the same old one. So he does. Jesse said to David, his son, let me summarize, VeggieTales does it good. He basically sends him pizza, bread and cheese. Okay, thank you, VeggieTales. <laughs> Moving on. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him because he always obeyed his father. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, just like they did every day, army against army. And David left the thing in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. By the way, we can't read this story and forget that David is a beautiful picture of the New Testament parable that says, he who is faithful with little will be given much. Because the author does take great concern and care within the writing of this to show how David was faithful with what he had been given. I don't think it's the main point of the story, but I don't think we're supposed to miss it. One of the lessons that David teaches us in life is this. If you're going to have to wait, you might as well get ready. If you're going to have to wait, you might as well get ready. If you're going to have to get, wait to get married, you might as well get over the porn addiction. Right? If you're going to have uh, to wait to have the kid, you might as well get the savings accounts stored up. Like, if you're going to have to wait, you might as well get ready. Because you're waiting, so get ready. And David, over and over, he showed, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. I only got this thing right now, but instead of dreaming about the next thing, I'm going to take care of the thing that's right in front of me. Some of us are like, God, why aren't you giving me the bigger thing? Because you're not taking care of the thing that's right in front of you. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistine, and listen to this, and spoke the same words as before. Said it again. You're enslaved. I'm better. You're never getting past this. I hope you enjoy the view. Some of us, by the way, this is where we've resolved in life. This thing is bigger than me. This thing is stronger than me. This thing will own me forever. And I'm just going to learn to cope and deal with my limited access on this side of the mountain. What land were the Philistines on? Judas. It was their land. The enemy had no right to it. 
And some of us have given up on things in life that God wanted to give to us, but we gave to the enemy or we're letting the enemy camp out on what God has given to us. You're letting the enemy camp out on what could be a great marriage, a great relationship with your kid. And you're letting the enemy camp there. So the Philistine gets up and he says the same thing that he's been saying over and over because why say something different? But something is different this time. David heard him. It's the only thing that's different from every other time he's gotten up there and said exactly what he said. This time somebody new heard him, somebody who was like them but wasn't them. David hears it. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now, if you want incentive, okay, you don't have to pay your taxes. That is incentive. You get the king's daughter and you get money that you don't have to pay taxes on. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, we just told you. And he's like, okay. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Money, the girl, no taxes. Preach. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, it's always the older brother, isn't it? How many oldest brothers we got in here? Story ain't good for you. <laughs> now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep? In the wilderness. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David, like a true little brother, says, What I do now? This isn't the point of the story, but at least we got to point out that the enemy loves to use people that are close at times to belittle, and to question our motives. And sometimes when the enemy doesn't scare us, what this older brother represents, by the way, and by the way, the older brother represents this a lot in Scripture, is religion. Is religion questioning our motives and belittling our accomplishments. And so that's what the older brother does. He looks at David and says, you're not the guy for this, and by the way, I know your heart, like anyone can do that. Let me put you back in your place. And it tells us why it is. He's jealous. And religion often gets jealous. And so they try to stop David. Religion does. Tries to stop David before he can go any further. David, though, David does not let his older brother stop him from what God has accomplished or called him to do. In the same way that you and I shouldn't allow people who have ill motives, who are fueled by jealousy, to stop us from what God has accomplished or called us to do and to accomplish. So David says, I want to fight. 
And the words go back to Saul. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, I don't think that's a good idea. So that's what he told him. And David said, let me tell you why it's a good idea. So here's what David does. He lays out his accomplishments. He lists all of them. And he says, here is why I should be able to go do this. I've been waiting, but I've been preparing. And so now that the fight is actually here, I'm ready to go fight it. Now let me say, there will be things in your life that you will get to that you will either be ready or unready for. And God, just because this is how he typically works, gives you time to prepare for those things if you're listening to his voice. David could have been out in the field listening to whatever other voice, but instead he was listening to God's voice. We see it in the Psalms. It's written about it, showing that he was getting ready for the time when he would be asked to stand up and fight. And he was ready. And so he does lay out his accomplishments. Now, David has some good accomplishments, and he has been getting ready, but here's the truth of the matter. David's accomplishments pale in comparison to both Saul's accomplishments and Jonathan's accomplishments. Saul and Jonathan have actually killed people. David's killed a bear and a lion. Jonathan killed a whole bunch of people two chapters before. I already told you that. Saul and Jonathan should have gone up and stepped up, and they should have fought this battle. That's why they were there anyway. Something's different. Because David doesn't just lay out his accomplishments in saying, this is why you should let me fight. David says, these are my accomplishments, but let me tell you what's actually important. God has called me to do this. God's called me to do this. And I'm going out in his power. You know, there are things in life that we might have the talent for, the skill for, that if God hasn't called us to do, it will not go anywhere. They won't. You can have all the talent, you can have all the skill, and you can do everything right on paper and everything exactly the way that you're supposed to do it, but if the Spirit of God has to breathe life into it, nothing's going to happen. In the same way, Jonathan and Saul appeared better on paper, but had they gone out, bad things would have happened. Why? Because David was the one called by God to do this. He was. So David says, let me go fight, because I'm ready, and God's going to be with me. That's going to end well for you, Saul. Now, what happens next? We all know this part of the story. Saul looks at David and he goes, Well, you can't go like that because that won't win. He said, Let me make you a little bit like me and a little bit like you, and we'll meet in the middle and that'll work out well. And so David says, Well, let me try this out for a sec. And so Jonathan, or Saul goes and he grabs some armor. We don't know whose armor it is. It's not his armor because he's way taller than David. So he grabs somebody's armor and he puts it on David. And David puts it on. It's kind of like me. I'm wearing Lindsay's coat this morning, okay? Kind of like me. But it's a guy's coat, okay? The shoes are mine. Now, he puts it on. He says, well, this doesn't feel right. In other words, I'm not going to go out the battle half like you, half like me. I'm going to go out like me with God. Because if I go out half like me and half like you, this ain't going to end well for anybody. So I'm going to go ahead and take off the armor that you gave me, and I'm going to go out there like me. 
and I'm going to go fight the battle the way that God has prepared me to fight the battle. And so David goes out and he fights the battle the way that God has prepared him to fight the battle. And we know how the story goes. He doesn't fight in a traditional way. He doesn't go out there with traditional things because that's not how God has called him to fight. He goes out there with a sling and he hits him in the head and he falls to the ground. And like you brilliantly heard in that video, he cuts off his head with a sword. Goliath's sword. And he wins. And David beats Goliath, right? David beats Goliath. Unprecedented type of victory, right? We see it whenever the Browns win, right? We understand. So David is now victorious. What happens? What happens after David's victory? Oh, man. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, when the Philistines saw that their champion dead, they fled. What happens when victory wins? When, when good wins, evil runs. First thing that happens. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. What happens in our, in our victory? Courage. Men of Israel began to have courage that they didn't have. And the gates of Ekron, so that they wounded Philistines, fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. They got rich. And David took the head of the Philistine, that's kind of gross, and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, who is this dude? And then that'll get us into the story that we talked about last week. It's a beautiful story. There's a lot to learn in it. There really is. There really is. And you should, and I should, learn the good things in this story. We should learn that if we're going to have to wait, we might as well get ready. We should. We should learn how to humbly serve even those who stand opposed against us, as David did. We should learn that even when opposition belittles us or question our motives, if we know we're right with God, we keep going. We should learn that. We should. We should learn that being half of someone else and half of ourselves is probably not what God has called us to be. So let's just be who God has called us to be and trust that he's going to get us there. We should learn that. We should learn that there are things in our lives that need to be conquered. And we can't let them take over ground that God has already granted us. The land already belonged to the Israelites. God gave it to them, and they let the enemy come in. And disobedience, by the way, allows the enemy to take land or ground in your life that they shouldn't have, that the enemy shouldn't have. You know what triggered all of this? Disobedience. It does. And when we have disobedience in our own lives, it triggers in the enemy coming in and taking ground. In the New Testament, we call that giving the devil a foothold. We shouldn't do that. And every time we disobey, we give the devil a foothold. Now, it doesn't mean that God's power and grace isn't stronger than that. But we give the devil a foothold. We shouldn't do that. We should enjoy our freedom. That's in here. And we can learn all of those lessons and we can write them down. But then we have to remember something. You're not the king. You're not the king. And I'm not the king. And although those are good lessons to learn, it's not ultimately what this story is about. See, there's something in this story that we have to see because if that's all that we see is what we just saw, then all it can produce 
is us getting in at the end and saying, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Because I want to be victorious and I want to end up where David ended up. So what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And whenever we read the Bible to a place or in a way that makes us ask the question, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And we never ask the question, what did God do for me? Then we're missing something. We're missing something. And so we got to go back to the beginning of the story. And we got to see it, I think, the way that we're supposed to see it. Because at the beginning of the story, I think what we're supposed to see that what this story is all about at its main hub, what this story is really all about is Christian freedom. It's about Christian freedom. And this story is going to teach you something about the gospel, about Christian freedom that is so liberating, it's almost scary. Way more scary than Goliath. Because when we start to see the story and we see how Christian freedom comes, it's unlike anything we would ever conjecture on our own. It's so not our normal way of thinking how freedom is supposed to happen. Because there are children of God. But you know what every child of God does? They submit themselves to Saul. Every child of God. We call this sin, we call this rebellion. And instead of saying under God in our identity in him, what we all end up doing through our sin is identifying as a, as a man, as a woman in humanity outside of God. And so we, we become children of Saul, just like the Israelites were. And our identity is placed in that. And so what do we need? What do we need when we become children of Saul? What do we need when we're, uh, by the way, you're trying to place yourself in the story. Let me tell you who you are. You're the Israelite on the mountain. You're not David in the valley. You're the Israelite on the mountain. And when you're the Israelite on the mountain, what you are is, is, is restricted in your freedom. Because God gave you something, and now the enemy has taken it back. And so you're restricted. And there is an enemy much stronger than Goliath, called sin, that is holding you back from experiencing freedom. But you're now a son of Saul, and so you aren't able to beat it. And so what you need is someone who's like you that isn't you. What you need is someone who's like you, but hasn't surrendered their identity to humanity. And so from a far distant land, sent by the request of his father to serve his brother, now Jesus shows up. Not David. And when Jesus shows up, guess what happens? His brothers who he came to serve turn on him. And they question his motives. And they tell him why he can't. And why he's not who he says he is. But he doesn't listen. Instead, he says, I'll go fight. I'll go fight. And so Jesus goes to fight, but he doesn't fight how common sense wisdom would have told him to fight. See, common sense, man's wisdom told him to fight in the garden. Take up your sword. Let's go. Let's establish an empire. But Jesus doesn't fight the way you're supposed to fight. He changes the battle just like David did. Jesus says, I'll show you how I fight. And he walks out. And he doesn't walk out. Slingshot ready. He doesn't. 
The way Jesus fights is just as weird as the way David fought. Jesus actually fights and he goes out and he descends into the valley. And everyone thought David was going to lose. And it really looked like Jesus lost. Jesus fights by giving up his life. Fights by giving up his life. So he goes down into the valley of hell. And he gives it up. Gives up his life. We all know that story. Everybody thought he lost. Three days later, he rises up from that grave, absolutely victorious, and we're set free. Now we gotta look into this story. We have to see this. David kills Goliath. And in the moment that he dies, the enemy runs. The Israelites have courage given to them, and it says they are free to take over the land that the enemy had taken. And not only do they uh, take that, they get the riches that the enemy had left. And the obvious question is this, what did any of them do? And there's only one answer. Nothing. They didn't do a thing. Goliath said, let one man's defeat be enslavement for all. Let one man's victory be victory for all. Goliath was a prophet. He went down there and he said, one man's defeat, Adam, was death for all of y'all. But one man's victory in the future will be freedom for all of y'all. Now here's why this is hard for us. Here's why it's hard. Because all of us sit there like the Israelites and we watch the victory happen. But we don't believe we've got the same freedom they do. Think about how ridiculous this would be two weeks after the battle, two years, two months, two decades, two centuries, two millennia. Somebody goes up and they see some Israelites standing up there. I see him standing there. They go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I can't go down there. Why can't you go down there? Goliath. Goliath's down there. I can't go there. Don't you hear the voice? Don't you hear the voice? Don't you hear the voice? Goliath's down there. I can't go over there. Goliath. And what would that person do? Who went over there? They look at him and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Goliath's dead. He's dead. You're free. Not only are you free, there's some riches on the other side of the mountain. You just got to go grab them. There is not a more beautiful picture of the gospel. You got all these people over here and they're like, no, I can't do that. I got to stay right here. Evangelism is going up and saying, no, 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 no. Goliath, sin is dead. It died. You're free. 
He said, no, 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 I didn't do anything. That's the point. He did it for you. As little as the Israelite had to do to get their freedom is as little as you and I do to get our spiritual freedom. You don't need to help them in the battle. Paul says it this way. Oh, you foolish Galatian. You were saved by grace, but now you're going to try to redeem yourself? That's ridiculous. You know what? Listen, you know what David putting on Saul's armor represents? It represents every time you and I think the way to my salvation is me and Jesus teaming up. Me and Jesus are going to team up and we're going to do this thing. That's absolute foolishness. You don't need to team up with Jesus. He's willing to go fight it for you. All you have to do is exactly what the Israelites did. You see sin dead on the cross, and all you got to do is go, whoa! That's all you got to do. That's it. That's it. Then all you got to do is run. And when you run, you run right past the dead body, and you say, I ain't going back to that anymore. And that voice will have no power or authority over my life ever again. It's done. You're dead. So I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to run past you, and I'm going to grab some of these treasures over here. I'm going to grab some of these blessings. I'm going to grab the life that is truly life. I'm going to grab the abundant life. It's ain't some silly prosperity gospel. I'm just telling you that on the other side of the mountain, there's something that God wanted you to have. You can call it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, whatever you want to call it. There's something over there. Stop trying to kill Goliath. You're going to lose every time. He's already dead. Run right by him and enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your freedom because you're free. Let's pray. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.